0: Chapter Six of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains, by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hawaii, Sandwich Islanders, their nautical talents, Tamea Amea, his navy, his negotiations, views of Mr. Astor with respect to the Sandwich Islands, kakoa Royal Monopoly of Pork, Description of the Islanders gaieties on shore chronicler of the island place where captain cook was killed john young a nautical governor his story Waititi, a royal residence a royal visit grand ceremonials close dealing a royal pork merchant grievances of a matter-of-fact man Owyhee? or Hawaii, as it is written by more exact orthographers, is the largest of the cluster, ten in number, of the Sandwich Islands. It is about ninety-seven miles in length and seventy-eight in breadth, rising gradually into three pyramidal summits or cones, the highest, Mauna Roa, being eighteen thousand feet above the level of the sea, so as to domineer over the whole archipelago, and to be a landmark over a wide extent of ocean it remains a lasting monument of the enterprising and unfortunate captain cook who was murdered by the natives of this island the sandwich islanders when first discovered evinced a character superior to most of the savages of the pacific isles they were frank and open in their deportment friendly and liberal in their dealings with an apt ingenuity apparent in all their rude inventions the tragical fate of the discoverer which for a time brought them under the charge of ferocity was in fact the result of sudden exasperation caused by the seizure of their chief at the time of the visit of the tonquin the islanders had profited in many respects by occasional intercourse with white men and had shown a quickness to observe and cultivate those arts important to their mode of living originally they had no means of navigating the seas by which they were surrounded superior to light pirogues which were little competent to contend with the storms of the broad ocean as the islanders are not in sight of each other there could therefore be but casual intercourse between them the traffic with white men had put them in possession of vessels of superior description they had made themselves acquainted with their management and had even made rude advances in the art of shipbuilding these improvements had been promoted in a great measure by the energy and sagacity of one man the famous Temea mea he had originally been a petty Erie or chief but being of an intrepid and aspiring nature he had risen in rank and availing himself of the superior advantages now afforded in navigation had brought the whole archipelago in subjection to his arms at the time of the arrival of the tonquin he had about forty schooners of from twenty to thirty tons burden and one old american ship with these he held undisputed sway over his insular domains and carried on intercourse with the chiefs or governors whom he had placed in command of the several islands the situation of this group of islands far in the bosom of the vast pacific and their abundant fertility render them important stopping places on the highway to china or to the northwest coast of america here the vessels engaged in the fur trade touched to make repairs and procure provisions and here they often sheltered themselves during the winters that occurred in their long coasting expeditions the british navigators were from the first aware of the value of these islands to the purposes of commerce and timea not long after he had attained the sovereign sway was persuaded by vancouver the celebrated discoverer to acknowledge on behalf of himself and subjects allegiance to the king of great britain the reader cannot but call to mind the visit which the royal family and court of the sandwich islands was in late years induced to make to the court of st james and the serio-comic ceremonials and mock parade which attended that singular travesty of monarchal style it was a part of the wide and comprehensive plan of mr astor to establish a friendly intercourse between these islands and his intended colony which might for a time have occasion to draw supplies thence and he even had a vague idea of some time or other getting possession of one of their islands as a rendezvous for his ships and a link in the chain of his commercial establishments on the evening of the twelfth of february the tonquin anchored in the bay of karakakoa in the island of Oahu. the surrounding shores were wild and broken with overhanging cliffs and precipices of black volcanic rock beyond these however the country was fertile and well cultivated with enclosures of yams plantains sweet potatoes sugar-canes and other productions of warm climates and teeming soils and the numerous habitations of the natives were pleasantly sheltered beneath clumps of coconut and breadfruit trees, which afforded both food and shade. This mingled variety of garden and grove swept gradually up the sides of the mountains until succeeded by dense forests, which in turn gave place to naked and craggy rocks, until the summits rose into the regions of perpetual snow. The royal residence of Temea Mea was at this time at another island named wahoo the island of Oahi was under the command of one of his aries or chiefs who resided at the village of Tokai, situated on a different part of the coast from the bay of karakakoa on the morning after her arrival the ship was surrounded by canoes and pirogues filled with the islanders of both sexes bringing off supplies of fruits and vegetables bananas plantains watermelons yams cabbages and taro the captain was desirous, however, of purchasing a number of hogs, but there were none to be had. The trade in pork was a royal monopoly, and no subject of the great Tamea dared to meddle with it. Such provisions as they could furnish, however, were brought by the natives in abundance, and a lively intercourse was kept up during the day, in which the women mingled in the kindest manner." the islanders are a comely race of a copper complexion the men are tall and well made with forms indicating strength and activity the women with regular and occasionally handsome features and a lascivious expression characteristic of their temperament their style of dress was nearly the same as in the days of captain cook the men wore the maro a band one foot in width and several feet in length swathed around the loins and formed of tapa or cloth of bark the kihei or mantle about six feet square tied in a knot over one shoulder passed under the opposite arm so as to leave it bare and falling in graceful folds before and behind to the knee so as to bear some resemblance to a roman toga the female dress consisted of the pao a garment formed of a piece of tapa, several yards in length and one in width wrapped around the waist and reaching like a petticoat to the knees over this kihei or mantle larger than that of the men sometimes worn over both shoulders like a shawl sometimes over one only these mantles were seldom worn by either sex during the heat of the day when the exposure of their persons was at first very revolting to a civilized eye towards evening several of the partners and clerks went on shore where they were well received and hospitably entertained a dance was performed for their amusement in which nineteen young women and one man figured very gracefully singing in concert and moving to the cadence of their song all this however was nothing to the purpose in the eyes of captain thorne who being disappointed in his hope of obtaining a supply of pork or finding good water was anxious to be off this it was not so easy to effect the passengers once on shore were disposed as usual to profit by the occasion the partners had many inquiries to make relative to the island with a view to business while the young clerks were delighted with the charms and graces of the dancing damsels to add to their gratifications an old man offered to conduct them to the spot where captain cook was massacred the proposition was eagerly accepted and all hands set out on a pilgrimage to the place the veteran islander performed his promise faithfully and pointed out the very spot where the unfortunate discoverer fell the rocks and cocoa-trees around bore record of the fact in the marks of the balls fired from the boats upon the savages the pilgrims gathered round the old man and drew from him all the particulars he had to relate respecting this memorable event while the honest captain stood by and bit his nails with impatience to add to his vexation they employed themselves in knocking off pieces of the rocks and cutting off the bark of the trees marked by the balls which they conveyed back to the ship as precious relics right glad therefore was he to get them and their treasures fairly on board when he made sail from this unprofitable place and steered for the bay of tokai the residence of the chief or governor of the island where he hoped to be more successful in obtaining supplies on coming to anchor the captain went on shore accompanied by mr mcdougall and mr mckay and paid a visit to the governor this dignitary proved to be an old sailor by the name of john young who after being tossed about the seas like another sinbad had by one of the whimsical freaks of fortune been elevated to the government of a savage island he received his visitors with more hearty familiarity than personages in his high station are apt to indulge but soon gave them to understand that provisions were scanty at tokai and that there was no good water no rain having fallen in the neighborhood in three years the captain was immediately for breaking up the conference and departing but the partners were not so willing to part with the nautical governor who seemed disposed to be extremely communicative and from whom they might be able to procure some useful information a long conversation accordingly ensued in the course of which they made many inquiries about the affairs of the islands their natural productions and the possibility of turning them to advantage in the way of trade nor did they fail to inquire into the individual history of john young and how he came to be governor this he gave with great condescension running through the whole course of his fortunes even from his boyish days he was a native of liverpool in england and had followed the sea from boyhood until by dint of good conduct he had risen so far in his profession as to be boatswain of an american ship called the eleanor commanded by captain metcalfe in this vessel he had sailed in seventeen eighty nine on one of those casual expeditions to the northwest coast in quest of furs in the course of the voyage the captain left a small schooner named the fair american at nutka with a crew of five men commanded by his son a youth of eighteen she was to follow on in the track of the eleanor in february seventeen ninety captain metcalfe touched at the island of maui one of the sandwich group while anchored there a boat which was astern of the eleanor was stolen and a seaman who was in it was killed the natives, generally, disclaimed the outrage, and brought the shattered remains of the boat and the dead body of the seaman to the ship. Supposing that they had thus appeased the anger of the captain, they thronged as usual in great numbers about the vessel to trade. Captain Medcalf, however, determined on a bloody revenge. The Eleanor mounted ten guns, all these he ordered to be loaded, with musket-balls, nails, and pieces of old iron, and then fired them and the small arms of the ship among the natives. The havoc was dreadful. More than a hundred, according to Young's account, were slain. After this signal act of vengeance, Captain Medcalf sailed from Maui and made for the island of Oaihi, where he was well received by Tomea Mea the fortunes of this warlike chief were at that time on the rise he had originally been of inferior rank ruling over only one or two districts of owyhee but had gradually made himself sovereign of his native island the eleanor remained some few days at anchor here and an apparently friendly intercourse was kept up with the inhabitants on the seventeenth march john young obtained permission to pass the night on shore on the following morning a signal gun summoned him to return on board he went to the shore to embark but found all the canoes hauled up on the beach and rigorously tabooed or interdicted he would have launched one himself but was informed by Tameamea mea that if he presumed to do so he would be put to death young was obliged to submit and remained all day in great perplexity to account for this mysterious taboo and fearful that some hostility was intended. In the evening he learned the cause of it, and his uneasiness was increased. It appeared that the vindictive act of Captain Metcalfe had recoiled upon his own head. The schooner, fair American, commanded by his son, following in his track, had fallen into the hands of the natives to the southward of Tokai Bay, and young Metcalfe and four of the crew had been massacred on receiving intelligence of this event Tamea mea had immediately tabooed all the canoes and interdicted all intercourse with the ship lest the captain should learn the fate of the schooner and take his revenge upon the island for the same reason he prevented young from rejoining his countrymen the eleanor continued to fire signals from time to time for two days and then sailed concluding no doubt that the boatswain had deserted john young was in despair when he saw the ship make sail and found himself abandoned among savages and savages too sanguinary in their character and inflamed by acts of hostility he was agreeably disappointed however in experiencing nothing but kind treatment from Tamea mea and his people It is true he was narrowly watched whenever a vessel came in sight, lest he should escape, and relate what had passed. But at other times he was treated with entire confidence and great distinction. He became a prime favorite, cabinet counselor, and active coadjutor of Temea Mea, attending him in all his excursions, whether of business or pleasure, and aiding in his warlike and ambitious enterprises by degrees he rose to the rank of a chief espoused one of the beauties of the island and became habituated and reconciled to his new way of life thinking it better perhaps to rule among savages than serve among white men to be a feathered chief than a tarpaulin boatswain his favour with timea never declined and when that sagacious intrepid and aspiring chieftain had made himself sovereign over the whole group of islands and removed his residence to Oahu, he left his faithful adherent john young in command of hawaii such is an outline of the history of governor young as furnished by himself and we regret that we are not able to give any account of the state maintained by this seafaring worthy and the manner in which he discharged his high functions though it is evident he had more of the hearty familiarity of the forecastle than the dignity of the gubernatorial office these long conferences were bitter trials to the patience of the captain who had no respect either for the governor or his island and was anxious to push on in quest of provisions and water as soon as he could get his inquisitive partners once more on board he weighed anchor and made sail for the island of oahu the royal residence of tomea mea this is the most beautiful island of the sandwich group it is forty-six miles in length and twenty-three in breadth a ridge of volcanic mountains extends through the center, rising into lofty peaks, and skirted by undulating hills and rich plains, where the cabins of the natives peep out from beneath groves of coconut and other luxuriant trees. On the 21st of February, the Tonquin cast anchor in the beautiful bay before the village of Waititi, the abode of Tamea Mea. This village contained about two hundred habitations composed of poles set in the ground tied together at the ends and thatched with grass and was situated in an open grove of coconuts the royal palace of timea was a large house of two stories the lower of stone the upper of wood round this his bodyguard kept watch composed of twenty-four men in long blue cassocks turned up with yellow and each armed with a musket while at anchor at this place, much ceremonious visiting and long conferences took place, between the potentate of the islands and the partners of the company. Tamea Mea came on board of the ship in royal style, in his double pirogue. He was between fifty and sixty years of age, above the middle size, large and well-made, though somewhat corpulent. He was dressed in an old suit of regimentals, with a sword by his side, and seemed somewhat embarrassed by his magnificent attire. Three of his wives accompanied him. They were almost as tall and quite as corpulent as himself, but by no means to be compared with him in grandeur of habiliments, wearing no other garb than the pan. With him also came his great favorite and confidential counselor, Kraimacher who from holding a post equivalent to that of prime minister had been familiarly named billy pitt by the british visitors to the island the sovereign was received with befitting ceremonial the american flag was displayed four guns were fired and the partners appeared in scarlet coats and conducted their illustrious guests to the cabin where they were regaled with wine In this interview the partners endeavored to impress the monarch with a sense of their importance, and of the importance of the association to which they belonged. They let him know that they were aries, or chiefs, of a great company about to be established on the northwest coast, and talked of the probability of opening a trade with his islands, and of sending ships there occasionally, All this was gratifying and interesting to him, for he was aware of the advantages of trade, and desirous of promoting frequent intercourse with white men. He encouraged Europeans and Americans to settle in his islands, and intermarry with his subjects. There were between twenty and thirty white men at that time resident in the island, but many of them were mere vagabonds, who remained there in hopes of leading a lazy and an easy life. For such Tamea Mea had a great contempt, those only had his esteem and countenance who knew some trade or mechanic art, and were sober and industrious. On the day subsequent to the monarch's visit, the partners landed and waited upon him in return, knowing the effect of show and dress upon men in savage life, and wishing to make a favorable impression as the Ares, or chiefs, of the great american fur company some of them appeared in highland plaids and kilts to the great admiration of the natives while visits of ceremony and grand diplomatic conferences were going on between the partners and the king the captain in his plain matter-of-fact way was pushing what he considered a far more important negotiation the purchase of a supply of hogs he found that the king had profited in more ways than one by his intercourse with white men above all other arts he had learned the art of driving a bargain he was a magnanimous monarch but a shrewd pork merchant and perhaps thought he could not do better with his future allies the american fur company than to begin by close dealing several interviews were requisite and much bargaining before he could be brought to part with a bristle of his bacon and then he insisted upon being paid in hard spanish dollars giving as a reason that he wanted money to purchase a frigate from his brother george as he affectionately termed the king of england at length the royal bargain was concluded the necessary supply of hogs obtained besides several goats, two sheep, a quantity of poultry and vegetables in abundance. The partners now urged to recruit their forces from the natives of this island. They declared that they had never seen watermen equal to them, even among the voyageurs of the northwest, and indeed they are remarkable for their skill in managing their light craft, and can swim and dive like waterfowl the partners were inclined therefore to take thirty or forty with them to the columbia to be employed in the service of the company the captain however objected that there was not room in his vessel for the accommodation of such a number twelve only were therefore enlisted for the company and as many more for the service of the ship the former engaged to serve for the term of three years during which they were to be fed and clothed and at the expiration of the time were to receive one hundred dollars in merchandise and now having embarked his live stock fruits vegetables and water the captain made ready to set sail how much the honest man had suffered in spirit by what he considered the freaks and vagaries of his passengers and how little he had understood their humours and intentions is amusingly shown in a letter written to mr astor from Wahu, which contains his comments on the scenes we have described it would be difficult he writes to imagine the frantic gambols that are daily played off here sometimes dressing in red coats and otherwise very fantastically and collecting a number of ignorant natives around them telling them that they are the great heirs of the northwest, west and making arrangements for sending three or four vessels yearly to them from the coast with spars etc while those very natives cannot even furnish a hog to the ship then dressing in highland plaids and kilts and making similar arrangements with presents of rum wine or anything that is at hand then taking a number of clerks and men on shore to the very spot on which captain cook was killed and each fetching off a piece of the rock or tree that was touched by the shot then sitting down with some white man or some native who can be a little understood and collecting the history of these islands of tmea mea's wars the curiosities of the islands etc preparatory to the histories of their voyages and the collection is indeed ridiculously contemptible to enumerate the thousand instances of ignorance filth etc or to particularize all the frantic gambols that are daily practised would require volumes before embarking the great aries of the american fur company took leave of their illustrious ally in due style with many professions of lasting friendship and promises of future intercourse while the matter-of-fact captain anathematized him in his heart for a grasping trafficking savage as shrewd and sordid in his dealings as a white man as one of the vessels of the company will in the course of events have to appeal to the justice and magnanimity of this island potentate we shall see how far the honest captain was right in his opinion footnote it appears from the accounts of subsequent voyagers that Tamea mea afterwards succeeded in his wish of purchasing a large ship in this he sent a cargo of sandalwood to canton having discovered that the foreign merchants trading with him made large profits on this wood shipped by them from the islands to the chinese markets the ship was manned by natives but the officers were englishmen she accomplished her voyage and returned in safety to the islands with the hawaiian flag floating gloriously in the breeze the king hastened on board expecting to find his sandalwood converted into crepes and damasks and other rich stuffs of china but found to his astonishment by the legerdemain of traffic his cargo had all disappeared and in place of it remained a bill of charges amounting to three thousand dollars it was some time before he could be made to comprehend certain of the most important items of the bill such as pilotage anchorage and custom-house fees but when he discovered that maritime states in other countries derived large revenues in this manner to the great cost of the merchant well cried he then i will have harbour fees also he established them accordingly pilotage a dollar a foot on the draft of each vessel anchorage from sixty to seventy dollars in this way he greatly increased the royal revenue and turned his china speculation to account End of chapter 6